Revelation 19. We'll be reading the first nine verses. We may push a little bit farther if time allows. But as we remind ourselves, Revelation is not so much a book of stories, it's a book of visions that tell us lessons, gives us insight into spiritual warfare, what to expect and what to hope for and what to watch out for. Revelation 19 is another vision of the victorious court of heaven. Beginning in verse 1, John wrote, After this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of the servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! And the smoke of her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped. Worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice of him, small and a voice saying, Praise our God with all you, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great, then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the linen, fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Let us pray once more briefly before we go any further. Lord in heaven, we are thankful for your word and its truth, and we're thankful for the hope that we find in Christ. And as we look at this this morning, help us see with honest eyes the hope of future glory and the relief of future judgment. Some may struggle with this message this morning because we aren't supposed to be vengeful. But we are reminded that you have that right. You have said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So as we look into the pages of your truth, we will see some of this this morning. May we be ready to receive it and understand it and rejoice. We ask for your Spirit's help, and in his name we pray, amen. Some of us may remember some years ago, 
not too many. In the desert area of Iraq, Saddam Hussein was found in a small hole in the ground, hiding, some say, like a rat, hoping to elude capture. He was found near the farmhouse outside the city of Tikrit. I think I pronounced that right. American forces performed a swift raid conducted without casualties and the former dictator of Iraq had to face justice. Then President Bush said in his public address and I'm not supporting one politician or another, this is just historical fact. This afternoon I have a message from the Iraqi, for the Iraqi people. You will not have to fear the rule of Saddam Hussein ever again. All the Iraqis who take side of the side of freedom have taken the winning side in the history of Iraq. A dark and painful era is over. A hopeful day has arrived. All Iraqis can now come together and reject violence and build a new Iraq. Kind of words of wisdom and words of hope. Here was a dictator who was brutal, not only to enemy forces, but to his own people. And he was brought to justice. As we look at the book of Revelation, we see this idea, this concept, this teaching that the sin that is in this world, which causes great suffering, great violence, great harm, great heartache, always death, is brutal. And in Christ Jesus, we find deliverance, liberty, and freedom. These verses in chapter 19 of Revelation are opening up our eyes to one more view of the courts of heaven, a celebration of worship, of praise, because the enemy, by this time in Revelation's account, is defeated, and John is describing the vision of that celebration. Our confessions say that God is spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, most wise and most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. So I think we can say that God is worthy of all honor and all praise and glory and worship because he is faultlessly righteous, purely holy, and perfectly just. And when we look at this chapter in Revelation, we're going to see, perhaps not this morning, but next week when we finish the chapter, God exercising justice. And I've got to tell you, it, it doesn't look pretty. That's how they say it in the South, pretty. God is worthy of all honor, praise, glory, worship, because he is faultlessly righteous, purely holy, and perfectly just. He will not allow the destructive power of sin to remain forever. Revelation repeatedly reminds us of this promise. 
Sin and its consequences have been with us since the Garden of Eden. Pain and death and violence and justice, war and suffering. And we all wonder, why doesn't God do something? He promises to do something. It will stop. It will come to an end. But we are reminded by second, from 2 second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is waiting in order that those who are lost might respond to the gospel. We want to look at four quick points this morning. Righteousness of God's judgment. He has the authority and the right to judge. The finality of God's judgment. Once he declares it, it's done. The worship. Worship is always God-centered. It's not man-centered. And there is a celebration recorded in these pages of the union with Christ. The righteousness of God's judgment, the finality of God's judgment, the worship is always God-centered in celebration of union with Christ. Let's look quickly again at verses 1 and 2. John wrote, After this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of, great, of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, the word hallelujah, everybody is very familiar with it. We hear it everywhere. It, it is a compound word taken from the Hebrew that literally means praise Jehovah. So his holy name is used in this praise, praise Jehovah. It's not just a happy shout, it's praise toward God. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgment, our judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of the servants. The righteousness of God's judgment is right. He has the authority to do so. He has the right to do so. He is the only one who can take vengeance upon the unbelieving and the wicked and the evil in this world. When God's judgment begins, it will be thorough, it will be righteous, it will be appropriate, and it will bring to end all suffering. Last week we talked about, in chapter 18, the great prostitute, the apostate church, the apostate believers who historically led the people of God astray. And we compare that to the perfect bride of Christ, Jerusalem, the new city. Again, looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, the apostle there wrote, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood a holy nation, his own people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God's people, God's bride, his chosen, were always meant to be 
a special people, separated unto God for his service. In the Sermon on the Mount, Lord Jesus said, You are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hid. The kingdom of God, the faithful church, has always been meant to, was always meant to be, purposed to be, called of God to be faithful to him and not faithful to this world, to worship him alone and not this world, to proclaim the truth of scripture and not the reasonable lies of men. But what Revelation describes as the great prostitute or the apostate church was the one who tried to appease men, to compromise men and with the world, and thereby, instead of standing for truth, followed the world into sin, in shameful things, in corruption. That will stop. John 3.19, everyone loves John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everyone loves that. But John 3.19, just a couple of verses later, says this is judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The grace of God is offered to men and men, this world, would prefer darkness but the light of Christ shall become the judgment of the lost you reject him you have no hope you bow before him repent of your sins and receive his gift of grace and you have eternal life the world and much of the professing church not the true church but those who hide under the banner of Christianity, but are not truly Christian, assume God is not there. They also assume that God will not take any action. Again, 2 Peter chapter 3. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlooked this fact. The heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, through water by the word, that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water. The world has existed for quite a while, and the Lord has already finally judged the world once through the flood, and Peter is saying he will judge the world again. The righteousness of God's judgment is proper it is appropriate it is necessary it is needed 
During the winter of 1951, the Montana cafe owner named Clarence Pellet. On his way to work on a snowy morning, pulled over to pick up a hitchhiker. He appeared to be cold and frozen, walking in the snow. So once in the car, this hitchhiker pulled a gun and shot Mr. Pellet to death. Frank Dryman, the shooter, was captured and taken to court. During the criminal trial, the angry defendant, who easily admitted the crime but felt no repentance, shouted at the judge, I am going to kill you. Then he stared down the jury, repeating the same promise. And remember, this was 1951. His sentence was to be hung. Dryman's life was supposed to end until he managed to escape a short time after, short time later during a parole board hearing. He literally vanished without a trace. Finally, this invisible man had been sighted thanks to the perseverance of Pellet's grandson, Clem, who had kept a quest to seek justice in the face of all opposition. He found Dryman in Washington State. He had altered his name and even requested him of receiving his pension for serving in the military during World War II. Once arrested, Pellet would go on to say, I had no fear. To be honest, I didn't even remember the victim's name. A murder is a very horrible crime. It deserves punishment. Just as earthly people are able to make laws and govern accordingly, God, too, is just. Therefore, since God has clearly laid out his orders, his commands, we know full well exactly what will be asked of us on our day of judgment. And unless we have someone to step in to take responsibility for crimes we have committed, for the sins we have rebelliously shaken in God's face, Do you know what that looks like? That we are trying to deliberately hide in plain sight of a rebellion full, fully seen before the eyes of God, but we are just too foolish to realize that he sees it all and knows our every deed. righteousness of God's judgment is just it is proper it is appropriate the finality of God's judgment is assured in verse 3 of our text once more they cried out hallelujah the smoke from her goes up forever and more they is talking about the final destruction of Babylon and the prostitute the great whore the deceiver the compromised church this world lost in its sin will one day finally be judged 
and consumed by fire. And those who belong to the Lord Jesus will be watching and rejoicing, praising God for his justice. A lot of people, particularly in our day and time when we are so desensitized to the holiness of God, we can only think of him as some grandfather wishing us well in all that we do, don't really see his purity and righteousness anymore, don't really see his perfection and holiness anymore. It kind of shocks us and stuns us to think that God's going to judge this world Yes, he will. But those who are in Christ are safe. It doesn't mean that we are any better in the world than anyone in the world. It just means that we've recognized our need and repented of our sin and called upon his mercy, which is eternally abundant. The righteousness of God's judgment is appropriate. The finality of God's judgment is assured And because of all this, worship is always God-centered. It should be God-centered. Verse 4 of our text. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. We've seen a description of the court of heaven and the four and twenty elders and the four living creatures before. Chapters four and five of Revelation. This glorious, beautiful place where God's throne is. They are all praising God for his righteousness, for his holiness, for his worthiness. And I believe a revelation suggests that we shall be there too. Because we see in verses 6 through 8 a celebration of union with Christ. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! And the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. I know everyone here has been to an arena, it might have been a stadium, where there's a crowd of people, and if you've ever heard them cheering, it sounds like a rush of mighty waters. I mean, just... you. Sounds like a river flowing over rocks. John is describing the courts of heaven filled with the saints of God who have been redeemed by the Lamb in praising him together, giving him glory and honor, celebrating the union with Christ. And in verse 8, it says, It was granted her, describing all of the saints as the bride of Christ, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. She's done nothing. The bride of Christ has done nothing to deserve or earn 
her righteous dress. We do nothing to deserve or earn grace from God. He provides it all. He gives it all freely as a gift. You're very familiar with the passage in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now imagine, if all of these people were in heaven, praising, and they all got there on their own merits and by their own efforts, what would they be praising? Would they be praising God? Hallelujah, I was faithful in church. Hallelujah, I was faithful to tithe. Hallelujah, I was good to my neighbor. You'd have a continuing problem with people proud of what they have done and not giving glory to God in any way. Quite frankly, I don't want to spend eternity with a bunch of people bragging about how they got there. Would you? It was granted her. The word granted comes from edothe in the Greek. It's a derivative of didomi or give me. The verb literally, it's in the aorist, passive, third person singular. A passive voice is something, it's done to them. And in the context here, it could mean in other where, where the where this word is used other, other places in scripture, it could mean appoint, establish, give, pay, produce, yield, cause, entrust, or even in the context of punishment, inflict. So clearly it is teaching that this, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen. It was given to her. She has the right to dress herself in fine linen because that fine linen, that cleansing, that purity, that cleanness, that holiness comes from Christ himself. <coughs> Isaiah 61, 10 through 11. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. The prophet Isaiah understood it. Paul understood it. We need to understand it. Our righteousness comes from Christ. It is not our own. We have no reason to be proud or to boast of anything save Christ Jesus alone. Ephesians 5.25 reminds us that Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, set her aside, set her apart, and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, Christian, your righteousness comes from the Lord. The righteousness of his bride comes from him. 
He provides it. There are so many people trying to wash this idea, this thought, this concept away. But I think some of our, the old authors of the fairy tales understood it. I think he was trying to teach that concept to young children in a way they might understand it. And then later on apply it as they learn the catechism of the scriptures growing up in a Christian home. That we might be the bewitched bride lost or sleeping who needs a Prince Charming to come and rescue. Have you noticed how the world wants to wash that away? Let's erase all of that. We don't need Prince Charmings anymore. In a very small way, it just kind of points to the idea that Christ the Redeemer comes to rescue his beloved. He sanctifies her and cleanses her with the washing with water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church. Hallelujah. Granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. In verse 9 of our text, the Bible says, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Now next week, we'll talk a little bit more about the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's two suppers described in chapter 19. So let's not get them confused. We'll get into this next week. But just wanted you to remember as we introduce this chapter that Righteousness of God's judgment is appropriate. It is proper. He is the only one who has the right to do so. And he will judge. There is a finality of God's judgment. And that day is coming. If you don't know the Lord, you need to come to him now, today. You need to learn to worship God always in him alone. And not our own works, our own salvation, but his glorious love and compassion that you may one day celebrate union with Christ for eternity. Let me go just a couple of verses further as we close. Revelation 19, verse 10 and 11, or verse 10. John writes, he's seen all of this and he's overwhelmed. Then I fell down at his feet, this angel who was showing them this. I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. John has given us clear idea, clear teaching of the visions, one right after another, all the way through this book and this study of Revelation. And he gets all the way up here, and he's coming near the end of this message. 
And you see his glorious deliverance of the people. The world has been judged. The world is finished. And the saints are celebrating around the throne of God. And he falls down to worship the angel. And the angel knows better. Get up. Don't do that. John nearly committed a grievous sin. I kind of don't blame him. I can't imagine he's kind of weary. He's overwhelmed with what he is seeing. But he was corrected quickly and he understood why. We see this kind of thing everywhere. You mean worshiping angels? No. Worshiping anything else but God. There's an old story about an elderly couple shopping. There's a young pastor who started to do some exercise. Most of you know what a mall walker is. Sometimes they're a Walmart walker, but people who want to get some exercise will go to the mall. It's nice and flat and level, and they can just walk the mall for exercise. Sometimes they're heart patients. Sometimes they're just trying to lose weight. Sometimes they're elderly, just trying to keep mobile. And this preacher happened to go, I just, let me just go walk the mall. I won't have to make an excuse when it's raining. I can go inside and just walk. In the first few days, he saw this elderly couple. The first day, they were holding hands, and it looked so sweet. They were walking the mall. And the next day we're there, she, he wasn't holding her hand. He was holding her arm just above the elbow, and they were walking together. And the third day, he had his arm around her, and they were walking together. And he just happened to be on the way out as they were out, going out to the door. And he just said, may, may I bother you just for a moment? I want to say how encouraging it is and how sweet it is to see an elderly couple who seem to be affectionate toward one another. That's something you don't see every day. And the elderly man took his glasses off and looked this young man in the eye and says, Son, if I take my hand off her, she starts shopping. <laughs> you can go to church after church after church throughout America today, and you can see people worshiping. They say they're Christians, and they say they're worshiping God, but you listen to their hymns. You listen to their message. They are worshiping man trying to make man feel good instead of giving praise to God. Do you know why we come? To worship him. I know, I know that you would like to be encouraged. I know that you would like to be fed. I know that you would like to find some wisdom to help you with the task or the challenges of your week. But if you know that in Christ God loves you without measure and has accepted you fully and completely and has given you liberty, that should be the biggest confident boost you could ever have. But we may be modest and small in number. I heard a recording of R.C. Sproul recently talk about this very thing. But we, our numbers may be modest and small in number. When we come to worship... We literally, spiritually join all the courts of heaven in praise of God. Our numbers are countless. 
You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the saints of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better than things than that of Abel. See that you not... See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks in heaven. I hope this has not been too deep. I've tried to make it clear. But we need to understand God is our judge we are either going to be judged by him or we're going to be relieved by his grace if you receive christ as your savior you've already been relieved by that grace if you've not received christ as your savior judgment's coming you need to repent you need to turn you need to receive his gift he is the only one has the final authority for judgment he is the only one that is worthy of all praise and all adoration and all glory. And if we are his, there will be one day when we will celebrate gloriously with him forever. And I hope you don't think that's boring. If you think church is boring, if you think that inscription of heaven is boring then you're not ready. You're not ready. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for this day and for this time together. We pray this morning that we may hear and understand your word by your spirit and by its power. May we be moved to give you praise. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. <clears throat>